and let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things I've wanted to do in retirement is become better adept at making use of modern technology, although I know this is not so modern anymore. But I am now preaching for the first time, or one of the first times, from my iPad. So I do have a bit of a fear of this thing shutting down in the middle of the sermon. So let's, let's hope for the best and see how it goes. I do want to thank Rick and the Vestry for once again allowing me the opportunity to participate in the services this morning. However, I will say that having spent the last 10 days of living with the readings assigned for today, and particularly this passage from Matthew, I have learned a valuable lesson. Always check out the lectionary for any particular Sunday before accepting that invitation. My sisters and brothers, let's be realistic this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37, is a very difficult passage for us to hear. It is jarring because we believe Jesus and his gospel to be about love and inclusivity, forgiveness and grace, and so it is, my friends, so it is. Furthermore, we tend to think of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, as the part of our Bible that focuses on the law and on judgment, while the teaching found in the New Testament somehow undoes all of that, that Jesus properly understood is the great antinomian whose life, death, and resurrection sets law and judgment aside. But do you remember what Jesus said in the verses immediately preceding this passage? Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. If we thought Jesus came to cut us some slack on the law, you and I need to think again. Here he seems to be doing, in fact, just the opposite. He is not rejecting the law, Indeed, in his incarnation, he is intensifying it. And he is calling those who would follow him to live into that intensity. He does not change the law. He interiorizes it. And that means life, your life and my life, is to be understood to be lived from the inside out and that the true measure of life and the law has everything, everything to do with the relationships 
we have been called into, both with God and with each other. Put another way, my friends, life is much more about what is going on between us than what is going on around us or outside of us. Jesus intensifying and interiorizing the law means that you and I cannot compartmentalize our lives. We cannot live as one person on the inside and another on the outside. The gospel, you see, is remedy to living in a divided and fragmented way. To the degree that we are divided within ourselves, one person on the inside and another on the outside, we will be separated both from God and from each other. Jesus seeks to help us understand that the law is not about black or white, either or, God's love for me and those who think like me, and God's eternal judgment on those who don't. Instead, my friends, God's law is about both and. It is about God's healing and grace. It is about truly understanding that in God's kingdom, we are all sisters and brothers, and we live wholly and fully in order to bring that kingdom of God into fruition right here and right now. Jesus is making it very clear today. It's not the letter of the law that matters, but it is the spirit of the law. I will stand by this to my last breath. Jesus is far more interested in our lives and our relationships being put back together, made whole, demonstrating the power of God's love than he is in superficial compliance with the rules. Personally, I think that's why he's so critical of the scribes and the Pharisees. They have reduced the law to the crossing of T's and the dotting of I's. Instead, the law from the beginning has been the foundation and means by which we establish, nurture, and preserve the relationships we enter into in our lifetimes. For example, think again what you heard in Matthew's passage today. His teaching about adultery is not first and foremost about guilt and shame and the wickedness of the flesh. Instead, it is about loving, honoring, and cherishing the one person with whom we have entered into one of the most intensive relationships with another human being that we will ever have. By the way, Jesus was the master of hyperbole, one of the most intense, excuse me, one of the most prominent teaching methods of his day. And I want to be very clear with you all this morning. 
I do not think he is encouraging us to actually lop off our limbs and practice other forms of self-dismemberment. That's not what this is about. I don't know if this will help you, but one of my most intense experiences of the spirit of this particular passage took place way back in 1990. At that time, Janie and I were serving two small congregations about 35 miles apart in Kittitas Valley uh, in the state of Washington, right in central Washington. And our bishop at the time, Lee Wallace, invited us to attend a global conference of the Anglican Communion uh, in, of all places, Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. And for a young clergy person, my friends, I can't tell you what heady stuff this was. I mean, I went out and I bought a brand new black suit from Brooks Brothers. I had on my new uh, uh, clergy shirt from Whipple and brand new collars. And I went down, we went down to uh, San Francisco. And if you've ever been to Grace Cathedral, you know it's one of the most beautiful cathedrals in the Anglican Communion, sitting high up on a beautiful block. Uh, and the guest speaker, the lead speaker of this program was none other than the Archbishop of Canterbury, Robert Runcie at the time. My folks, there were all the clergy and lay leaders of the Anglican Communion, uh, bishops wearing many hues of purple, and it was, it was powerful. And of course, Robert Runcie was a genius, and his uh, presentation, presentations were wonderful and wise and erudite. And I was just soaking it up all up. Man, this is what being the church is all about. Well, I have a somewhat feeble mind. So after about two days of listening to Robert Runcie and others, I, I realized I'd absorbed about as much as I could possibly absorb. So I decided to get up and uh, go for a walk. And I quietly took myself out of the, uh, the, the hall in which everybody was gathered. And I started walking around the block uh, of Grace Cathedral. It was a beautiful spring day. And I was just, this was, this was awesome. I mean, Beautiful cathedral right here. Here I am in all my clergy finery. I mean, this is church. This is what it's all about. It doesn't get any better than this. And I made one uh, trip around the block, and I was having such a great time, I decided I was going to do it all over again, so I started a second lap around the block. Well, on the back street, coming back towards the front doors of the cathedral, I happened to notice as I was coming down the sidewalk that there was a, another gentleman coming toward me. And I could tell immediately that this gentleman, his home was on the streets of San Francisco. He was dirty, he was disheveled, and he was clearly carrying all of his life's possessions in several grocery bags. And you know, I found that really kind of disconcerting and jarring. So I did the really pastoral thing, uh, about, and, I, and I started to turn more and more at, to look at the cathedral and all its grace and glory as I know he was approaching me. And I was going to just not let that distract me from the beauty of what it means to be an Anglican and an Episcopalian. 
I knew I could, I could sense physically that he had gotten right next to me and I was doing my best to turn my back more and more to him. When all of a sudden I heard a question and the question was, do you know who Jesus Christ is? And my immediate response was, my gosh, here it is, Grace Cathedral. I've got on all my clergy stuff. I've got my collar on. I mean, how could I not know? And I remember muttering under my breath, well, of course, I know who Jesus Christ is. And so I continued to walk. Not five seconds later, I heard that voice asking me a second question. And the second question, my sisters and brothers, was, would you know him if you saw him? It took me about five seconds before I realized what happened, and I immediately turned around, and guess what? He was gone. Now, for those of us who struggle with the metaphysical and the supernatural and the possibility of angelic beings, I honor that. And yes, he could certainly have gone and turned the corner and was going down the other side of the street now. Did I go to look? Absolutely not. Because I knew that was God speaking to me in the moment about the distinction between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Now please don't under, please understand, please don't misunderstand. I love our tradition. I love the pomp and circumstance. I love our beautiful cathedrals and churches, our music, our prayer book with all its liturgies, our fourfold order of the ministry, the laity, the bishops, please tell Bishop Buddy that I said that, priests and deacons. But you know what? If we ever find ourselves worshiping the institution and forgetting that we are first and foremost a movement, that we are right and they are wrong, that when it comes to our budget, maintenance is more important than mission, that I am closer to God than you are because I cross all the T's and dot all the I's and in my judgment you don't, then my friends, we are tacking much closer to the scribes and the Pharisees than we are to our rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. Would we know him if we saw him? I hope so. I do hope so. Because he is in this building right now. And he will be in the face of everyone we will meet and greet today and indeed every day of our lives. Amen.